Welcome to the first episode of Underrated and Overlooked Podcast. I am Najee Wilkins along here with Craig Sager. Um, this podcast is basically about a bunch of things. We talk about high school uh, sports, collegiate sports, and also we talk about uh, professional sports as well. So I'm going to welcome in my um, other co-host, Craig Sager. Thanks for having me on. And I just got to say this, the month of November, that is for football. It really is. It's not December. It's not October. It's November. So we're in the thick of it. You got the high school playoffs getting ready to start. The NFL, it's kind of that time. Are these teams going to be able to figure it out or not? And then college football down the home stretch. So November is here. It definitely is, man. So we're going to get it kicked off. We actually have GSSA playoffs actually starting this week. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the teams, some of our uh, sleepers, contenders, and pretenders throughout the different classifications, man. So I'll go ahead and start with 7A. Obviously, man, for me, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Buford, obviously the contender, one of the best teams in the state, uh, dynamic running game, really good playmakers on the outside. Uh, they're a contender. Also got Mill Creek in there. Uh, I think Hayden Clark, along with some of their weapons, Brendan Jenkins, who's a former, um, who is the son of a former Atlanta Falcons receiver, Mikael Wood, Cam Robinson, also Caleb Downs, can kind of do a lot of things well. So I got them. Then I got Grayson as well. I think when they're firing all cylinders, their defense is really good. I think their defense has what it takes to contend when the postseason kicks around, which is actually this week. And then Walton, offensively, just have a good uh, multiple weapons. Uh, Hunter Teal, Aiden Jackson, Kari Botterford had a 265-yard rushing game along with four TDs. And then Jeremy Heglinski, who actually just got an offer from Wake Forest. So I think they just have a lot of weapons um, offensively, and they could really be dangerous. So those are my contenders. And then my sleepers are going to be Milton. Obviously, um, you know, they won the region again, fifth straight uh, region title for them. I think this is a dangerous team. Ran the ball really well last game against Lambert. Also going to be Parkview, getting another sleeper. They can do it uh, both running the football and passing with Colin Hulk and also Kyrie Spain. So I think they are very dangerous. And then Valdosta, I like their defense along with Eric Brantley on the defensive side of the ball. I haven't played well towards the end of the stretch, but they started 8-0 for a reason. So I think they'll get that cleaned up and figured out. Hulk and Connie, obviously, out there in the south. Um, dominant season for them. Somebody to keep your eye on, also Brookwood, depending on what's going on with uh, Dale Lonegre. Yeah, why well, I completely agree with Buford. They're the top team nationally right now. If you look at their quadrant, though, it's who can beat them in that bottom uh, left part of the bracket. You have Carrollton there potentially in the quarterfinals, or you have Walton. I, I would probably pick Buford in both those matchups. You mentioned Mill Creek. They are, of course – in the same region as Buford, so they're on the other side of the bracket. But Carrollton, they might be able to do it. But if you just look at Buford, the way their defense has played this year, all the tough games they've already played, they have Justice Haynes at running back. He's clearly the best running back in the entire state, if not the country, going to Alabama. You know, we'll <laughs> see if he changes his mind on that one. And then I was looking at the upper part of that quadrant, or sorry, that side of the bracket. I mean, you also have Colquitt County, Lambert, I think Lambert still has a chance. Milton obviously beat him last week. Um, but in terms of the sleepers, I think you're absolutely right. What Milton's been able to do this season, they had a great year last year, but then their best player, LT Overton, decides to skip his senior year. They lose their entire coaching staff, and it seems like it's going to be a complete rebuild year. But if you look at them, they've transformed into a passing attack. It's like they, we used to call Milton uh, running back you at the high school level with all the great running backs. They're passing the ball now. It's like their identity has completely shifted, and then they still have that tough defense. 
So I definitely think they're a sleeper. No one wants to play them. And for them to clinch the fifth region title, uh, haven't lost a region game since 2017, in the face of all those changes, it just shows what the kind of day-to-day is uh, with that program. So I definitely think they're a sleeper. I think uh, I've been really impressed with the way they've uh, closed out this season and just the, I mean, that's all will right there. When you're sitting there preseason, you have a new coach, kind of new pieces, it's falling on you. And I, I just think they've really stepped up and uh, rose to the occasion this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, great point by you, Craig. They really have. And I think it's going to be an electrifying 7 day playoffs. Um, you know, obviously, Buford moved up from uh, 6 day classification. So uh, it's going to make things interesting in 7 day. And I think it's going to be some good competition. So you can't sleep on these teams. Um, they're going to definitely be dangerous. But let's move to 6A, man. Um, Obviously, it's going to be Langston Hughes. I think they have, what, 18 D1 commits, I believe. <laughs> I mean, just an incredible team. Prentice Aaron Nolan has a bunch of offers. Uh, Bo Hughley, um, I think he's their offensive uh, lineman. They just have so many players on both sides of the ball. Kendall Barnes. Uh, they got JoJo Stone from Grayson. Um, just so many players, and they're really dangerous. So they're obviously my set only contender, really. Then I have a bunch of sleepers. My One of my sleepers is Roswell. I thought they played exceptionally well in that game. Um, you know, what really hurt Alpharetta was, you know, Special teams, kicking the ball. They seemed like they didn't want to give it to Ethan Nation, and every time they would get a nice return, sending them up in Alpharetta territory. I think that was the difference in the game. Um, Ethan Nation obviously is dangerous when he gets the ball in his hands. Then Chris Elko also showed, hey, I can also play football too. You know, he had two touchdowns in that game, breaking tackles, and the quarterback, K.J. Smith, played good as well. But their key uh, player is obviously going to be Nakai Davenport. I mean, three touchdowns in that game, over 160-plus yards rushing. He really makes a difference. And I remember just clipping that 62-yard run he had, and he broke so many tackles, broke like three or four tackles, and, you know, set them up in deep territory. So, obviously, Roswell is going to be mine. Douglas County, uh, Sire Hardaway, I think, you know, is a quarterback that still slept on. I'm surprised he still doesn't have any offers his last game. I mean, he had two interceptions, but threw for almost 500 yards in a high school game. I mean, 463 yards throwing, that's incredible. Um, so, they're my sleeper, along with Sakai Woods, Zachariah Keith down there on the edge and in that linebacker position. And then the, all the playmakers they have, Monte Gooden, uh, Deuce Alexander, um, James Johnson. They just have so many weapons. I think they're going to be dangerous. Also, Latrell Morell as well. And then South Pauling, their running back, uh, Jamarion Wilcox, another player to look out for. They beat, actually, Douglas County, but I think they're going to be dangerous come playoffs time, too. Yeah, with, uh, with Hughes, I was watching them last season, and I was like, man, I think they can win state this year. Obviously, they were a little younger than they are now. All the D1 guys, Jelani Tank Thurman, he's just a freak athlete, basically like a small forward that can run like a receiver, and uh, they can give it to him in the red zone. He can break off big runs. But what it is about Hughes, they show up every single week, and they want to beat you by 70. And if you don't come out and try to compete four quarters, they will. And so I think the standard, the way they've been playing, Prentice Aaron Nolan, he still is another year after this. I mean, he is unbelievable. The arm strength, uh, he can throw it downfield, and then they can just hand it off to Justice Savage. So they're so balanced. They're so stacked. So it's almost the situation where you look at them, they've been winning by 40 points a game. I'm not <laughs> saying I'm cheering against Hughes, but I do want to see – that there are other teams that can even compete with them. Because at yeah, this point, yeah. no one has even come close to testing them besides Douglas County in that first half. Um, but other than that, I think what you said about Roswell is so true. They have a physical running back. That's going to help them a lot. They're great defensively. I think uh, standing up to Alpharetta's high-powered attack, kind of their size, 
all their different targets. It, they clearly are just practice well. They have the game plan. They're confident in what they're doing. Um, and I think that move down to 6A is definitely going to benefit them. And then uh, I think Gainesville is another team. Uh, this has pretty much been the year of the first-year coaches. Uh, there were 90, I think, 96 coaching changes this year in across the state, and so many have made an immediate impact. So that's almost like a kind of renaissance that's happening at the high school level. We used to have to have this four-year plan, three-year plan, but now it's like these coaches are so good at going in there, seeing kind of what the strengths are, and then tailoring the offense around them. I think that's what has made this season really exciting. And then same thing with Thomas County Central. He comes over there from Colquitt County. They're in a 6A now, made the jump up from 4A, and they just came out of one of the toughest regions in the state, undefeated as the top seed. So I think uh, until anyone can contend with Thomas County Central, they definitely have to be in that conversation. But obviously it is Hughes' uh, kind of championship to lose this year. They are clearly the front runner. Yeah, I agree. And and for me, we already transitioned to the next classification, uh, 5A. I think the contender is going to be, obviously, Dutchtown. I like Cambridge and how they can run the football. I think that's going to be big. Their, their offensive lineman beg their coach uh, to run the football. Uh, just a lot of, you know, huge guys. And we've seen it in that Kell game. I called the upset in that game, and you always saw the difference in the offensive line. And it just took over there late in the fourth quarter. So I think they're going to be good. Creekside has so many weapons. Um, I think they're dangerous um, when you play with them. Um, I think the Quan White there on the outside can can play really well. So they are another one of my contenders there. And then my my sleepers are obviously going to be Cartersville. They're kind of one of those story programs. You know, year in, year out, they're going to be there. They're going to be dangerous. They're going to make a difference. And then obviously it's going to be um, Kale. I think Kale, they can figure it out. They still have a lot of talent. Bryce Clavin, um, Peyton Zachary's played well defensively. They got some nice playmakers there as well. So um, those are my two teams. Uh, those are my contenders and sleepers for 5A. Yeah, I think that Kell game against Cambridge, I don't think they could have come out any worse than they did. Just fumbling the ball at first, they kind of just had a bad night. But other than that, they're definitely talented. I've said it from the start, I think 5A is the most wide-open classification. I do think 7A is pretty wide open, but there's so many teams that I would not be surprised if they, they make a run. Dutchtown, they beat Warner Robins. Warner Robins has had its grip on 5A for probably four or five years. That's a huge statement. They played an incredibly difficult uh, schedule. The region with Ola, with Jones County, obviously Warner Robins, like we mentioned. So I think uh, they're definitely in that semifinal, final uh, range. And another first-year coach, Nikita Battle, going down there from Mays, really impressive. And then you have Northside Columbus, a team that's come out of nowhere, won their first-ever region title uh, this season. They demolished Macintosh finale, I think 51 to 18. I'm interested to see that historic run. And then a team like Cambridge, they have the experience. They have guys like Will Taylor that have just made so many big explosive plays. And so I think that's what makes them dangerous. They can kind of methodically run their offense and then hit these big plays. They are a real headache uh, for opponents yeah i agree and then as far as just 4a you know before i throw it to craig for three and 2a to get his picks uh i think troop county obviously you were right man tail ties the beast um he had over 200 yards rushing in their last game against the yeah. grange i mean the guy's just different he could throw the ball he could run it really well and obviously north Oconee, i think you know Austin, and then cedar town those are my kind of top contenders there in 4a 
Sleepers is going to be LaGrange. I think they can run the football well. This game against Burke County will be big. That's actually going to be my game of the week, guys. So yeah. go to scoreatl.com. Make sure you look there. That'll be um, I'll have that up later this week. And then Stockbridge. Stockbridge is another team. You know, they had that big region title victory. I think they would be dangerous as well. Absolutely. And 4A got so much better this year after the classification with all these new teams coming in. I thought it was a little uh, shallow last year. I mean, Benedictine, I almost could have guaranteed bet all my money on that one. But I think Benedictine is going to be good this year. Uh, You have... Burke County, who you mentioned, yeah, they had a loss to Wayne County. That was a Monday game. They had to play two games last week, so that's a one-point loss. I'm not really counting them out right there. The LaGrange win is humongous. They come out of that really difficult region, and they actually had to win that game to even make the playoffs, and it propelled them all the way up to the number two seed. So that was just a massive momentum uh, for for that program, especially one that has been talented, but I mean, Matt Napier's really brought excitement there, uh, stability. And then uh, Teo Todd, I think he is the most exciting player in the state. He's worth the price of admission. Uh, I would love to see him make that big run. Uh, He is probably the hardest player to tackle. He did have some interceptions in that LaGrange game, but I think he uh, is going to continue to do what he does. And then uh, Perry, they're a team that's super balanced. They have Amar Gordon at quarterback. He's gone for... 2,100 yards, 26 touchdowns, only four interceptions. And then they have Demetrius Carter at running back. He's at 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. So Perry has been outstanding. Their only loss was a one-point season opener to Houston County. And then um, I really like North Oconee. They've been my number one team. Uh, Max Wilson at quarterback. They've got an extremely talented offense and same sort of thing we're seeing uh, with Hughes. They've been winning by 40 points a game, resting all their starters at halftime. So I think a team like them, a team like Cedartown, they're going to come out in the playoffs and just be really uh, kind of well-versed, uh, fresh, and just know that this is the time to make a run. I think 4A is wide open as well. Yeah, I agree. 4A is definitely wide open. It'll definitely be a great uh, playoff run. I'm excited to see you know, the results kind of that one. But I'm going to throw it to Craig. Craig is a little more, uh, I'll say invested in me. This is like my second year doing the classification. So I'm more no like the higher classifications. But Craig is really good at nailing down the 3A, 2A, and 1A. So I'm going to throw it to him and kind of what he got for those uh, classifications. Yeah, so I think in 3A, it's all going to center around Cedar Grove. And then you have your Sandy Creek and Carver Atlanta. I think all those teams can make that run. They've obviously all played each other. I think Carver... Got to look into kind of what happened in those Sandy Creek loss, the Cedar Grove loss. But, I mean, their schedule, they played Buford this season. They challenged themselves so hard. So, I think if they can get start getting some wins in the playoffs, uh, they'll show up for the moment. If they have a rematch with Sandy Creek or Cedar Grove, it's, it's on. They're going to come out. And then I also think Adairsville is a team where that entire kind of area around Calhoun this season with Hiram, with Cass, it's just been exploded. I don't know if it's just like a population boom or if those programs have just uh, in, been investing over the years, but there's a lot of great football there. And so Adairsville comes in as a, a top seed and they're having an outstanding season. Uh, I think uh, they have a chance to make a historic run because that's not a program we typically would see uh, going deep in the playoffs, but they have been, they've looked really good this year. Yeah, I agree. And then what you got as far as 2A and 1A? Yeah, 2A, I think Callaway is the team. Uh, 
obviously Fitzgerald right now, they're the huge contender, but Callaway, once again, they played this challenging schedule. They play like troop early. They lose and everyone's like, oh, they lost it. Callaway isn't as good. I mean, that's a team that won the state title like two years ago, dealt with all these injuries. They have just this next man up attitude. Uh, they have Demetrius Coleman uh, kind of handling that offense. He's outstanding. And then they're just a tough football team. Every single week, doesn't matter. They're going to play close. They never get blown out. So I think they know how to win games. That's for sure. And then obviously South Atlanta, huge, you know, tons of talent right there. Can they make that uh, big run they've been waiting to do? They have a state championship on their mind. Uh, Rockmark's good. Thompson, they come down from 3A, so they're kind of a bigger program that's new to 2A. And then I'm trying to think, uh, yeah, we have Ace Charter. They, they've had an outstanding season. And then I think that's all I was kind of focused on at first. But, yeah, Callaway. South Atlanta. Those are the teams I'm going to be watching. I think uh, they both have what it takes, and that'd be really exciting for both of them. Yep. And then finally, guys, one A. What you got, Craig? Yeah, that's going to be Raven County, Prince Avenue Christian. Uh, you also have Darlington's playing outstanding, and then a team that we talked to their coach. He felt like he should have been in the Division Two. He was just on the edge, but that's Tryon, and they've actually been uh, playing really good this year. So I want to see if they can shake things up, and then we can never count out Irwin, Irwin County. They were super young this year, but program of South program, and I don't think anyone in the state has more wins than they do over the last six years. Agreed. And then, as far as our last topic, just for kind of high school football, you know, it got to be said, 7A. We briefly talked about it, but you know, what team do you think, in your opinion, can, can contend with Buford? Well, I think it's Mill Creek for sure. Uh, and then maybe even North Cobb. I know they don't have Malachi Singleton, but they've seen them before. And so I, I think those adjustments can go. I think if you have a defense and a game plan where you can control and just somehow stop Justice Haynes, <laughs> you have a chance. But I don't necessarily think it's a, a team like Walton. I don't think their their defense is good enough to, to slow them down. I think there's weaknesses. So it's going to take a great defense. It's going to take a Grayson defense or just like a well-balanced team like Mill Creek. Or you can't count out Colquitt County. Uh, no. Their passing attack this season, uh, the way they've played in that Region 1 with Camden, uh, Lowndes, Valdosta, they've been – solid every single week they have not had an, a bad week or a bad game all season they've been in control every single outing so i think uh them for sure got you and guys that's going to be uh, our topics today for high school football high school sports uh that's all we got for you guys we're going to transition to the next segment of our show uh college football make sure you guys go to scoreatl.com for all of our um, content we do uh previews uh craig just came out with volleyball rankings uh, the final, and then we have some pre-playoff rankings as well. So make sure you go to scoreacl.com for that. But let's transition, man. I called it. Me and you talked, Craig. Um, I had Georgia beating Tennessee at home. Some people thought they were going to have 50 on them. Um, I said no. I said Georgia just has – I mean, they just have wings in all these categories. Why I thought they were going to win. Okay, so Georgia is fourth in the country in total yards given up, fourth in yards per game. They're top 10 in the nation, third down conversion percentage on defense. They're number two in red zone defense. They were fifth in rushing yards allowed, second in rushing touchdowns allowed. So 
I knew that kind of going into the game. I'm like, okay, Tennessee has not played an upper echelon or an elite defense all season. I mean, even with Alabama, obviously, you know, years ago, you know, they were elite defensively. But lately, last couple of seasons, Alabama's defense hasn't been elite. So I think that's the difference there. Obviously, they got Will Anderson, can rush the football, uh, rush the passion really well. You got, you know, Cooley McKinstry on the outside. And Brian Branch, who's obviously going to be a top five prospect or a top prospect at his position. But I could just tell, even if they weren't going to lose that game, I know they were going to lose probably, probably to Ole Miss. So for me, I thought Georgia did a great job. Now, Tennessee came into the game averaging 50 points per game. They held them to 13 points. They didn't score, I think, what, a touchdown to like almost the close to their final possession of the game? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it just made a difference. I believed in Georgia. I called out um, Keely Gringo, who I thought played well. Um, I know he was going to play well in the with Malachi Starks as well, I thought. You know, but they just have a great defense, and they got all those injuries, but it didn't matter, you know, and they ran the football well, depending on Stetson Bennett, and the guy we're going to get into a little bit later, Lab McConkey, big game, five, I think he had five or six catches for like 90-something-plus yards and a touchdown. But what stood out to you, Craig, in that game? Well, when we were talking about it uh, before, I just was in complete agreement because if you look at the matchup, Tennessee's offense versus Georgia's defense, and then Georgia's offense versus Tennessee's defense. It's like if you stack those up, Georgia's defense is so good. And it's like Tennessee doesn't have that defense. So you knew it was going to come down to that. And then if you if you watch the game, it's like Tennessee would have these throws and just like they're a couple yards off. It's a little overthrown. And so it was just the timing was off. And that's why I think in the previous weeks they've been clicking on all cylinders. Uh, their receivers have made some really incredible catches, but it's just that timing was off when you're playing the defense with the speed and physicality of Georgia, and they just uh, did not have it, and they were not in that game at all. So I thought it was really impressive. You completely called it, and then if you watch game day, I think four out of the five picked Tennessee, even though they're in Athens. So uh, I think everyone was jumping on that Tennessee bandwagon, and rightfully so. They're a good team. They've had an exciting season. They were wearing the number one. A team in the nation heading into it, but I just think Georgia showed up and um, just handled business in uh, the way that they can defensively. That's been their staple the last few yeah. seasons. It's been defense, and we're seeing a difference, and they're getting a lot of in-house players. They added Mikael Williams from Hardaway, I believe, uh, this past season. Um, they just have so many weapons defensively, and we've seen it last year in the run, and we've seen it again this year. So I want to say something about Makai Williams. He yep. played in our Georgia Elite Classic, and that he was a sophomore uh, going up against the, the juniors. Rusty said afterwards, he goes, I've never been to an All-Star game where they triple team someone. <laughs> and then I asked him after the game, he had like – he had uh, five tackles for loss and three sacks. And I was like, so is this was this a kind of a standout game for you? He's like, no. But he's just like, I do this every week. He's like, I, I usually get more tackles for loss. And it's just like, my gosh. So he was just so dominant. And he could play basketball, too. That's what I'm he saying. He was an absolute beast. I mean, seriously, one of the most dominant players I've seen at the high school level. So that was a huge hit for uh, for Georgia, I'm excited for him, and yeah, he's going. He's going far, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's only a freshman, y'all. So if you thought Georgia's running was done, um, they got the prospects for next year too. I think they just landed a four-star prospect too. I think at the linebacker position, uh, recently oh, as well. It's going to be crazy yeah. this year. I mean, insane, literally insane. But let's talk about the guy, Lad McConkey, went to North Murray, a high school in Georgia, North Georgia. I think Craig has some great intel on him. What I found out was, you know. He was able to play point guard position in high school. 
He's only about 160 pounds. Yep. Look at what he's growing into now. I really wanted to go to Tennessee, but it didn't happen that way. So I just think you see the explosion when he's playing high school. He's playing quarterback. Now he's so, playing. But Craig has the inside intel on this story, so I'll let him share. Yeah, so his dad played quarterback. His brother played quarterback. And then it, uh, I was looking at what his coach said at North Murray, and he said, Lab McConkey was not a quarterback, but he was a great athlete. They needed a quarterback, and he kind of just stepped into, into that role. So he w- wasn't ever really recruited uh, as, a, as a QB. He was more of an athlete. He ran the ball for them. He played quarterback. He punted. He did the punt returns. He literally never came off the field. He had, one or two. Yeah, that's right. He had four interceptions. He returned three of them for touchdowns. And so he was just an absolute uh, superstar. Had over 3,000 all-purpose yards. Literally did everything. He quarterbacked them to their best ever season, an 11-2 and two finish. I think they never lost a region game either. And so his recruiting – he was getting some attention. So North Murray's up in that northern Georgia part. A lot of Chattanooga schools or Tennessee schools like Middle Tennessee usually look at those players. So he was kind of in between like Tennessee and Athens. It's like that's right on the Tennessee uh, Georgia border. And so he didn't have any power five offers heading into after the early signing period. So this is 2020. So uh, in January of 20. Yeah, January 2020, he finally gets the UGA offer. He had zero stars at the time. He didn't even play receiver, uh, but he just his overall athleticism, he placed third in the state in track and field in the 100 meter, and they took a chance on him. Uh, I think that was, who is it, uh, Cortez Hankton and uh, the OC Todd Monken, and uh, they gave him a full scholarship right off the bat. and so. What Coach Pog was saying, though, that's North Murray's coaches. Once Georgia offered Lad, all these other schools started, like the D two ones and some other ones, would call up and say he's never going to play at Georgia. What what is he thinking? He needs to come here. And so they tried to pull him away, but Georgia stuck with him. And if you look at it, I mean, he's really developed into an outstanding player. He's gotten faster. He's added thirty pounds. Uh, this last game, I mean, he. Leads had a game high in receiving yards. He had the five catches, a touchdown, and he's also uh, rushed for touchdowns in each of the last two seasons, which kind of shows what he was able to do. All those uh, games at North Murray, just when he has the ball in his hand, he has great speed. He's a leader. Kind of has that point guard, um, kind of I don't know, like movement as well, where he's just kind of seeing the play. And uh, I'm just excited. Anytime you can find a guy like that that is a homegrown player truly uh, that didn't really have that many offers uh, taking a chance on him I think that's really exciting and if you look at the fit I mean he wins a national championship last year and now he's balling out I just think uh, that just says a lot about uh, the talent coming out of the state of Georgia Uh, says a lot about a 3A school Uh, that's another knock sometimes people give oh he's playing 3A football. It's like, dude, he, he's putting up 3,100 yards. Just watch the film. And so I think his teammates at UGA have also been really impressed. It's like they might not have heard of him, but as soon as the offer came out and he tweeted it uh, right before signing day, all these other players that were already on the team were like, who is this guy? And then they would see his highlights. They were like, oh, man, welcome, welcome aboard. And then 
since he's been there, he's obviously just been grinding, working extremely hard, and uh, he's really become a kind of exciting piece to to the team this year. So I think that's just great, and uh, I think that's what Georgia has done uh, well with whether it's him, whether it's Stetson Benson or Bennett. Sorry, uh, just having guys that want to be there and are grateful to be there and they're just uh making it exciting yeah great intel by craig i think you said too he runs a 4-3 right yeah they said he clocked him at a 4-3-1 so that's insane so i think he only ran like 140 when he was in high school and that that was like a 4-5-1 at some camp and so obviously he ran the 100 meters so they knew he had that top uh, all state speed there but i mean what a story a guy that quarterbacks punted punt returns right played defense and now he's just in this receiver role and we also yeah we saw him with the end around rushing score against oregon week one so he's definitely in this uh offensive game plan and uh, i think uh he's only gonna grow in the years to come i agree and if you guys didn't know what you're wondering why is this podcast called underrated and overlooked we show you uh Exactly why. Just right there. That is what we do. We like to highlight different players. And we do it throughout the show. It's not like one segment. We just do it throughout the show. We highlight players, teams, coaches, whatever it may be in any sport. And we like to kind of give them some recognition and notes. And obviously, he was one of those players that was underrated and overlooked. And look where he's doing now. And look at Stetson Bennett, what he's doing now. And some of the players that didn't get a lot of attention, but now they're just balling out collegiate level and even in the NFL. So that's part of our section. But let's continue going with college football. Obviously, we got Alabama, LSU, major upset, 32-31 win. Uh, a hell of a call by Brian Kelly in the offense uh, to go for it. Hey, we're not going for the tie. We're going for the win. We're going to win it right here, 31-30. After we just score, two-point conversion, they win. The I game. felt in my gut, I had a feeling that it could happen, but I wasn't sold. I feel like whenever you, you're going to be an Alabama team, you have to have a good to an elite quarterback. Um, you've seen that kind of in the Tennessee game. I still, I've, despite the loss to Georgia, still think Hidden Hooker is a Heisman candidate. I still think he's a good to an elite quarterback. Um, even in years past, when Deshaun Watson beat them with Clemson, good to an elite quarterback. Um, last year, I thought Stetson Bennett started to come on, good to elite quarterback. That's what you need if you're going to beat Bama. But story in the game was the LSU defense really held up well up until the fourth quarter when that's kind of Alabama's quarter when they went off, scored 15 points there. But, I mean, to force so many three and outs like they did, to force them to punt the ball so much, I thought was huge in that game. And it came down to, I think, Bryshawn made a heck of a play there. This was like third and long. Um, He's dead to rights. No, he's not. He escapes the pass rush, throws the ball. Uh, I don't know why two Alabama receivers are in the same place, but still got the touchdown. They want to be like, okay, this game might be over. No, LSU comes right back down. They go and score, and then before you know it, we're going to overtime. So um, I thought it was an incredible game. I just think that defensively, Alabama's not who we thought they were um, coming into the season. I like their players. I like Brian Branch. I like Will Anderson. I just think their secondary, which was supposed to be a strength of the team, just has not performed to optimal level. I think that's been a difference for them. And, you know, I think Jameer Gibbs, them getting him was crucial. I mean, he can run the ball really good. He can catch it out the backfield. He can run receiver routes. He's just another playmaker. But they're, they're, if we're being honest, their receivers have disappointed this year. Um, you know, they're not what they've been in the years past when they had John Michi, Jamison Williams, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy. I mean, they had some studs. Can we definitively say Alabama has studs at receiver? I don't think we can. But. Nonetheless, obviously, you know, they'll they'll make a bowl game, but they I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Yeah, I think when you – they've played in a bunch of these games with Texas A&M where it's like 
they're trying to pull out wins at the very end. They aren't dominating teams like they, they used to. And so, I mean, if the other team is in it, it's like it's happened over and over again. So I think that was obviously what FSU did do was just have a chance to win it at the end. And I think that's a trend we've seen at every level is how many teams are gambling on these two-point conversions. No one used to do that. That used to be some like Chip Kelly – like Lane Kiffin, like they'd call you crazy if you did it. And now it's like we see it every single week. So it was a, a great call, and uh, I think it's exciting to see. We've seen some creative uh, two-point conversion attempts as well. So I think that's been an exciting aspect. But, yeah, Bama's just not blowing people out like they used to, and I definitely agree. Uh, you look at the receivers in the past, it's like it's just usually a who's who, just guys jumping up, making outstanding plays. They've been so talented offensively, but they've definitely lost some of it. And so it's been a tough year for Bama fans. I know I'm not a Bama hater. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't I don't cheer for their demise. But, um, yeah, we'll see how the rest unfolds. I think the West has been very interesting this year. Yeah, man. I mean, if you think about it, LSU, I believe, only has one loss in the SEC West. And then you got Ole Miss is still there in Alabama. So that's going to be interesting to see who comes out is going to play in the SEC championship game. I mean, Alabama still has a battle with Ole Miss, which I still think they're going to lose. But um, I think that'll be intriguing to see. But that's what we got, guys, for those two huge games. And our last topic for college football is actually going to be these upsets in Notre Dame actually upsetting Clemson. thought that was a big game. They had two rushers with over 100 yards and Logan Diggs and Audric Estemi. Um, they really dominated the game. I think it was 28-0 at one point before Clemson even yeah, got on the court. they didn't score until the fourth quarter. That's insane. I mean, you talk about dominant effort. And the crazy part about that, Craig, is that they were 0-2 to start the year. They were 3-3. Three and three. They rattled off three straight victories. One of the upsets was they lost at home to Marshall. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was week two, I think. Yeah, week two. So, I mean, for them to go where they were, a lot of frustration. I don't even know if you've seen the viral clip of the coach just, like, almost in a sense cussing out his quarterback. It was, it was like a couple of weeks. It was probably like the beginning of the season. But he was just like, you know, just do your yeah. job. <laughs> you know, basically what he said. So I think they've come a long way. Um, we'll see what's in store for them. But they've been playing a lot better. Um, and it's the same revolving door for Clemson. Um, now, like, we weren't questioning it when they were kind of winning. For game Week one, we did when they played Georgia Tech. We were kind of questioning, okay, is he really the guy? Then we just went by. He's playing well. We're out the window. Now it's come back again with DJ Yugale. Uh, is he really the quarterback for Clemson? Is he that guy that's going to get them over? And now with that one loss, the ACC is so weak. I mean, is their playoff chances done? You know, the only team else that's good in the ACC Coastal is North Carolina, who's undefeated in their conference, 5-0, and but 8-1 overall. So is Clemson done? Let's just be honest. That was a brutal loss. Yeah, it was brutal. They did not score till the fourth quarter. Uh, mentioned Notre Dame. Yeah, they showed up. I mean, they've had a, a year where they're trying to. They pretty much got humbled and embarrassed early. They they needed to save face, and they've done a, a good job of that. And that was a big win. But I, I was definitely surprised. Uh, just we've seen a lot of crazy upsets this season. Uh, the App State one over was Texas it uh, Texas State? That was huge. That was huge too. Oh. Uh, stupefied. And then uh, what about like Kansas State over Oklahoma? That was another big one. So we have seen some some big upsets, but I definitely, when I saw that uh, result on Saturday, I was shocked. I did not expect that. And so that's kind of a wake-up call for Clemson. Uh, something's not right there. 
Yeah, I agree. And a couple other big upsets was Washington State versus Wisconsin, Kentucky versus Florida at the time. Florida was balling out. They had upset at Utah. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, week one. Week one. That was huge. Um, obviously, Appalachian State versus Texas A&M was another one. Georgia Southern versus Nebraska at the time. Tennessee at home versus Alabama. So major upsets across the board. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, definitely a brutal loss for Clemson. I don't know if their title hopes are done, but, I mean, they got to hope that North Carolina stays undefeated, I think, the rest of the way. And if they're able to, you know, probably defeat them and, you know, some things go their way, they may be in contention for a playoff spot. But I'm curious to see tonight, actually, the CFP uh, rankings are going to come out. So I'm curious right. to see how that's going to actually look and kind of react to those next week as well. But for sure. those are going to be our topics, guys, for college football and our last segment of the show. Again, go to scoreacl.com for all of our content and our, our stuff. And go uh, subscribe to our other social media handles, Score Atlanta on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah, we're everywhere, guys. <laughs> we do it all. So, NFL, man, um, how good are the Jets? I mean, and are you buying this 0-2 start to the division for the Bills? I'm not. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the show it's November. I think it's just the way it goes. The colder it gets, the better Buffalo gets. Uh they usually show up at the end and yeah, their fan base, they're still ride or die. And I, I think uh, they'll be okay. Once they start getting some, some wins, some momentum, I think they're still that team uh, in terms of the jets, they got off to a slow start. They've won five of the last six. So I think that's interesting for them. I mean, this NFL season, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't make any predictions. I'm glad I'm not in your fantasy league either. No offense, <laughs> but I, I don't think I would have been doing too hot. But you look at the Jets, uh, Garrett Wilson, the receiver, he's had back-to-back -back pretty strong games. So that's a good sign for them. Uh, Zach Wilson's been solid. Uh, so I think the Jets can compete. But, yeah, I'm not necessarily completely sold that they're going to be better than the Bills later on or – that they're going to be able to be a better team uh, just down the rest of the stretch. And I think this point of the NFL season is really interesting. You're seeing some teams start to fall apart. They're starting to focus on next year, and they're trying to move pieces around. Uh, and then others. Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then that was, that was awesome for you, I guess. But uh, then other teams – it's like they were kind of at that point and then they get a big win and we'll talk about it a bit, but like the bucks and then that changes everything. It's like, okay, our division isn't doing so hot. We still have a chance. That was exciting. So we're really going to see that in the next couple of weeks is uh, which teams are building for this playoff run. And then which ones are just going to buckle and try to salvage and plan for the future. So it's going to be extremely interesting. And, I think that's something i mean i've watched the nfl obviously my whole life but i think we're going to get to a point where it's almost going to become like the nba in terms of players moving and jumping team to team i think the way the contracts used to be it's like you're their guy forever it's like you have to stay there but it's like after this season i think we're going to see so many players just go to different teams they're already talking about Aaron Rodgers like ending up somewhere like Tennessee or something. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think that's the direction the NFL's going. Uh, just uh, players aren't going to be signing these long deals. I think it's going to switch up, and I think that would create a, a renaissance in the NFL because these fan bases, they aren't. Yeah, they're loyal to their guys, but it's they're loyal to the team. It's like 
you see that it's like if you're a Tampa Bay Bucks fan and you're a Tom Brady hater, it's like now you like him. It's like <laughs> I would like to see the NFL get to that point. I think it'd be really exciting. I mean, even look at uh like the the Seahawks right now. It's like they loved Russell Wilson when he was there. He's not there anymore, and they're perfectly fine. Six and three. They might have been like, oh man, we lost our guy, and but no, a new guy shows up, and they're happier than ever. So. I think that's the the direction it's going to go, and that would be really exciting. I would like to see more movement like that. I mean, incredible take, I think, by by Craig. Could you imagine after signing that three year, one hundred fifty million dollar deal, fifty million per year, Rogers leaving, going to another team? I mean, that's a great point by him. And if we saw that, I think that'd be incredible. You're also seeing, as Craig mentioned, kind of the shift too with the fully guaranteed contracts. We saw Deshaun Watson get a fully guaranteed contract to play for the Browns. We are seeing Lamar Jackson. Where is he going to end up um, having a phenomenal season this year? I think they're dangerous come postseason time. Six and three right now. Defense played exceptionally well last night, but he wants fully guaranteed money, um, you know, a fully guaranteed contract. So, I mean, I think, as Craig mentioned, we're starting to see the parallels of the NBA kind of um, uh, uh, disseminating into kind of the NFL. So it's going to be curious to see kind of what happens this offseason. This offseason, actually, this past offseason was incredible to see where all these yeah. players moved. I mean, Russell Wilson to the Broncos, Devontae Adams to the Raiders. We've seen all this kind of teams um, venturing or these players venturing into the um, AFC. And, you know, we still know who the elite are, obviously the Bills and the um, the Chiefs, but still now you got it's wide open. So my reaction to the Bills game is I'm a little concerned because they're 0-2. They obviously got all the weapons and things they need. Gabe Davis, uh, Dawson Knox, Stephon Diggs. They finally have a rushing game now, which I think is critical come playoff time. Um, Von Miller on the outside, Ed Oliver, they got all the things they need. Um, Tredavious White, I can go on and on and on. I'm concerned Josh Allen is hurt. He has a UCL injury in his elbow. So how serious is that? Will he miss any time? Will he play this week? They got a big game against the Vikings coming up. We're going to talk to talk about in a little bit. So I'm a little concerned there. And then, you know, you're on to your division. This division is pretty good. I mean, Dolphins are six and three. The Jets are six and three. The Patriots are over 500 at five and four. So it's a little concerning in the 0 2 start. I mean, obviously, so they're going to have to start getting some wins or that division race is going to get closer and closer and closer. So, curious to see there for the Jets, it's going to be the quarterback. That's that's what stands out to me. He played good, eight for, 18 for 25. He got 164 yards, touchdown. But will he be able to make those key throws when they need it? Obviously, as Craig mentioned, it's, it's so true. Yeah, like they got Garrett Wilson. Um, he's good. You know, the Ohio State tree is, is incredible in the fight right now. Chris Olave has been having a pretty good rookie season. But Garrett Wilson on the outside, you obviously still have um, Brees Hall got hurt, but you got Michael Carter. You know, you have James Robson who you traded for. Your defense is going to keep you in a lot of games. C.J. Mosley, Sauce Gardner, who looks like he could be defensive rookie of the year. I mean, you got the, the weapons defensively, and they play teams tough. Like, this is not a team that has quit. When my team beat them, the Bengals, who I'm obviously wearing, guys, as you can see, uh, when they beat them, you know, it wasn't an easy win. It was a grinded out win, you know, but the Jets are good. So the Bills, obviously a great team. We know they're the upper echelon of the conference, but you have to be a little bit concerned, especially with the injury kind of to Josh Allen. But that's a transition to our next section, the Chiefs. Yep. Obviously, our guy here, Craig, is a big Chiefs fan. So before I give my take, I want to see how he feels about that big win versus Tennessee and what really stopped him in that one. Yeah, it was one of the craziest games I've seen, uh, not in terms of, oh, man, they ran it back on the last second. It was crazy from a statistical standpoint. 
yeah, it went into overtime. So the Chiefs did have some more plays in the overtime, but it was something like 91 plays for the Chiefs to like 30 something for the Titans. Uh, I thought Tennessee came out and played really physical for sure. Uh, that was a probably the biggest physical challenge I've seen the Chiefs play. They were smacking them around, made it really difficult. And then what I was looking at, what people were pointing out is the Titans really didn't try to blitz Patrick Mahomes. And that's something that um, I think the Bengals didn't do it. Uh, the Colts didn't do it. Good grief. The Colts beat us this year. Um, so when you look at that, it's like that's how the Chiefs were able to win that game because Mahomes made those incredible runs where it's third and 17 and he's able to pick it up with his feet. But they did kind of struggle uh, passing the ball. The Tennessee defense was all over them, uh, just basically dropping seven, seven players, rushing four. They had the safeties super far back. And so it really comes down to, I mean, we use the word, it's more than that with Mahomes, but his impro his ability to ad-lib or improvise in plays. Who else do you see scrambling around and literally just like chucking it to Travis Kelsey, yep. underhand, overhand? It's like he has these plays that have become just like a common occurrence. And so teams clearly think the formula is to to drop back seven with all these different receivers and crazy routes uh andy reed and the chiefs are running but then it's just mahomes what he's able to do uh just situational awareness uh he can have those special plays but he definitely has had moments where uh he looks under duress he's not necessarily hitting his guys i think at the end of the game there were a lot of throws that i mean travis kelsey had to dig it off the floor uh juju uh he had to dig some of them off the before so i don't know if that was just mahomes uh fatigue at the end of the game because i mean that's a, a long overtime game he's throwing 68 passes uh my arm would definitely be tired if i tried to do that and those aren't just 10 yard warm-up passes either he's on the run so i think physically i was impressed with uh how he was able to fight it out but the fact that tennessee was in that game i guess that kind of worries me because it kind of shows the the potential formula to stop this Chiefs offense. And if Tennessee would have had just a little more success offensively, I think they could have come away with that game, but uh, they just did, did not have it. Uh, Chiefs defense played well, but uh, yeah, at the end of the game, uh, Tennessee, I mean, they didn't have any any hope of uh, marching down the field to try to win that game. Yeah, I want to Besides Derrick Henry, but other than that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I wanted to shout out Derrick Henry. 17 carries in that game, 115 yards, two touchdowns. He ran the ball exceptionally well. But I think the second half, you've seen the adjustment the Chiefs made. They weren't allowing him to run the ball as effectively as he was in the first half. Um, and when your quarterback goes, now this is not a knock for Malik Willis. I think that's their feature starting quarterback. Five for 16 for 80 yards. Their highest uh, yards, one catch, 48 yards by, excuse me for, for mispronouncing his name, but Chagosium Okongwu. So, Look, when you're going to face a team like the Chiefs, again, another upper echelon team, their defense played magnificent. It wasn't the defense fault. You held the Chiefs to nine points going into the fourth quarter, and you only have 17 points. That's right. And so I think, I think I can't pronounce that name either, but I think that's one of their tight ends. So literally, they did not complete a single pass to a receiver that game. How crazy is that? Tennessee did not complete one pass. <laughs> 
to a receiver that game, and they took the Chiefs into overtime. That's insane. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. That's I've insane. never seen anything like that. Yep. But uh, I think it still was just a great game to watch. It yep. was so interesting uh, what Coach Brabel was doing uh, schematically, yep. uh, the chess mess. And, and then even Kansas City's, like, the tempo they run with. I mean, they're so hard to defend against. Uh, all these different plays, the motion, all all the moving pieces, Mahomes, uh, he's what he's able to do for them to just hold strong like a unit defensively, it says a lot. But yeah, once again, it's just how are you going to win a game when you when you don't complete a single pass to a receiver? So I still just afterwards I was like, that's one of the craziest NFL games I've seen in a while. So a uh, really interesting game for sure. Yeah, my last take, too, for Tennessee, they'll obviously be there. They're going to win the division. Uh, they'll be a playoff team, but they're not going far. It'll be the same thing like last year. Again, elite running game, great running back, one of the top running backs in the lane. But when you're one-dimensional and you can't throw the football and you, your receivers like Hassan Haskins, Chris Conley, uh, Cody Hollister, Nick Westbrook, Robert Woods, they can't get any separation, and yet you traded A.J. Brown to the Eagles and we see how he's dominating – when you play in this league, you need a wide receiver one. Like, that makes a difference. And I think they're going to come up short again, no matter who's the quarterback, Malik Willis, Ryan Tannehill. When you got a defense like that, you got to reward them offensively. And we did not see that at all. That really made the difference in the game. That's why it's just one. Do you think it was because Willis was maybe hesitant throwing the ball? Was he just under pressure? I mean, I don't think you can credit it just to the Chiefs, uh, like, covering him. And then you had – Derrick Henry rolling. So it's yep. like you would think that those guys could have gotten open or made some plays. It's just truly incredible. That's been the story for them all year. I think I think you're right. I think it was a mix of him being maybe a little bit hesitant with throwing the football and him also being under pressure. You guys, Chris Jones had an exceptional yeah. game. You know, you guys were, uh, he was under duress the whole game. So I think yeah. that made a difference. So obviously I think it comes back to Chiefs play well defensively and I think the other part of it is that you don't have the weapons on the outside to win you need weapons on the yeah. outside to win you don't have that you let that go you let Julio Jones go you let AJ Brown go so that made the difference big win for the Chiefs but my only concern for the Chiefs 68 pass attempts gotta have they're looking like the Bengals like you gotta have some balance you know we gotta get some running game that's the only thing that concerns me but Juju Smith played well that's a that's a good yeah. sign along with McCole Harmon and Kelsey. If you could just get a trio of whoever, it could be different guy each game, Sky Moore, um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Kadarius Tony. If you could just get somebody else to help those two, the Chiefs would be just fine. Yeah, They'll for sure. Fine. And then one more point. Now, 100 to even think that he was going to march the field. He's got guys all in his face because they know they're going to pass. The receivers aren't getting open. Nope. He's literally like, the ball's almost stripped out of his hands. He's having to roll out of the pocket, and literally no one's open. So it's like they just really – I mean, that was a tough tough situation. I don't see how he how he could have done it. I mean, it was just uh, – I've never been in a, like an overtime game when you're, you're pulling for your team where you're that confident that they are – that the other team's not going to be able to make a play. It's like it just wasn't happening. It's just like, oh, this thing's over, which – it's crazy, and yeah, they did not even uh, come close to getting anything on those final plays. Yeah, exactly. 100% agree with Craig, and that's our analysis on that game. We're going to transition now to the Rams, Bucks. Um, I'll start this segment off. Um, I think the Rams are not that good this year. 
Um, I don't know what it is, but I think offensively, they do not look the same. They need to do whatever they can and in their power to try to get Odell Beckham back, OBJ. Um, that offense looks like it's in shambles. They cannot win on the outside if it's not Cooper Cup, who did have a good game, eight catches, 127 yards in the touchdown. But you need more. Um, their offensive line cannot protect. Uh, I think uh, Stafford has been sacked the second most times in the league at 28. Um, no running game. They had that issue with Cam Akers. Now he's back. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but their offense, like their defense, did enough in that game to me to win. They only had nine points going into the final drive. Now, obviously, the final drive they let them down. I thought playing that two shell coverage, like if you give Brady too many opportunities, he's gonna win the game. You know, he's a goat for a reason. You know what I'm saying? So if you give him too many opportunities, he's gonna make you pay. I think that's what happened there. Overall, defensively, they played good. Aaron Donald, I think, had two sacks in that one. It was disruptive defensively. But what it comes down to, basically, just they couldn't get the stop defensively. Uh, Darion Kendrick, number six, got cooked twice on um, that pass interference. And then yeah. he was looking too much into the running the ball with 13 seconds left. And then they just ran a, basically an out route with their tight end. Kate Otten, you know, ended up winning the game. But the key is... Both of these teams don't look very good right now, but the difference is you one got Tom Brady and then the other side doesn't. Offensively, all year, Tampa Bay has not looked good. Um, that, that We got to just let that be known, let that be said. But they made enough plays defensively to win, and you can see the frustration in Jalen Ramsey when he said he was frustrated kind of with the offense. So they did enough defensively to win, but offensively. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge win for Tampa just at home. They've had some tough frustrating losses but that final drive was just crazy to watch the 44 seconds left they have it on their own 40 zero timeouts so you know what they're going to have to do and it's just out route pick it up at the state or number six he's playing too far off uh that's the one play where it's like if you would have just stopped that one the chances of you winning the game go up like crazy yeah like yeah the fact that he's like three yards off i mean just a a tough um I guess learning opportunity, but they really kind of blew it on that last drive. It could just let them get positive play, positive play, yep. and then uh, right at the buzzer. So that was a, a big uh, win for them. They handled business on that last drive, but I did think the Rams uh, kind of let themselves down in that situation. It's it's tough to lose like they did. Uh, I mean, you really have to let them win every single play. It's like they just had one win on that last drive that would have come out victorious. Agreed. And now the Bucks are number one in their division and the Rams are in a lot of trouble. They're three and five. Seattle leads that division at six and three. They've already swept the Cardinals. Then you still got San Fran in there. Um, that's four and four. So they're gonna come back and they got so many weapons. Oh my goodness. Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. They just need their quarterback to play. That's the that's the biggest thing with San Fran is they just need Jimmy Garoppolo. So obviously led them to a Super Bowl, led them to the NFC Championship game to just perform like the way he can perform. And if he can just play well, I mean, they got a Super Bowl roster. They do. Yeah. But it depends on their quarterback and if he can make the, the plays when it matters most. Yeah, I thought the Chiefs beat them pretty. <laughs> just watching the game, their fans need to start showing up too. Yes. <laughs> yes, agreed. But next topic, actually, um, I am a big Bengals fan. If you guys didn't know, I did point that out earlier in the show. But um, I want to talk about Joe Mixon's big game versus the Panthers. I have some stats for you guys. It'll be a very impassioned plea because um, it's been irritating me, and I've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, look what happens when you run the football. Um, 
I've been uh, clamoring religiously for Zach Taylor to relinquish play calling duties. And the reason why is because the offense is so predictable. If I'm sitting home and I know what you're going to call, <laughs> then the defense knows what you're going to call. And I see that week in, week out. This team is too talented with Joe Burrow, who's a star quarterback. I think superstar quarterback. He's the third in passing yards right now. He's I think he's top two in completion percentage. He's different. We know that. But offensive line, you make it easy on them when you can run the football and you have some kind of balance. Now I'm going to get the number. I did write this down. So, um, against let's start with the Saints game. Against the Saints, we had 37 passes, 8 Joe Mixon runs. Against the Falcons, 42 passes, 17 Joe Mixon runs. And I know you're like, oh, well, it went up to 17. Only reason was because the final drive, they tried to ice the game, and he had eight runs in that drive. So to that Great point, point yeah. he had 42 passes to almost like nine runs. Okay, next game, Monday night against the Browns, 35 Joe Burrow passes to eight Joe Mixon runs. But when we played the Panthers, 28 passes to 22 Joe Mixon runs. It makes a difference. I've been saying this. I don't know who reports for ESPN, who reports for Cincinnati Bengals talk, why they don't ask Zach Taylor why he doesn't rush the football. I don't understand. I, I've looked at so many press conferences, and nobody asks that. And it's like, you don't have Jamar Chase right now. Obviously, you still have great receivers in, in Tyler Boyd and uh, T. Higgins. But run the football, even when Chase was playing. If you run the foot, we, we see it in high school football all the time. When you can run the football, it opens up your play action. That's all Cleveland did to us. They ran the football religiously, opened up the play action, threw deep balls down the field to Amari Cooper and the rest of the weapons on offense. It makes a difference when you can run the football. He had four touchdowns in this past game against the Panthers. He averaged seven yards a carry. So he did this against, this is according to Next Gen Stats. He did this against eight-man boxes. So if you guys don't know what eight-man box is, I'll definitely break it down for you. Basically, it means when the defense loads the box and they know that, they're, they know that you're going to run the football, they're gearing up to stop the run. He still scored four touchdowns on eight-man fronts coming down trying to stop the run. So... If Cincinnati is going to get back to the postseason, and mark my words, Craig, you heard it from me on the show, it's going to be coaching. It's going to be play calling. It's going to be how you get the talent, how you get the ball to your talent. That's it. They have all the talent in the world to be dangerous and to win a Super Bowl. They got Joe Mixon. They got Joe Burrow. They got Jamar Chase when he comes back. They got T. Higgins. They got Tyler Boyd. Their offense is gelling. But you don't do your offense any favors when you throw the ball that many times and you don't run the football at all. Everybody was coming for yeah. Mixon like he's like, oh, he's not missing as many tackles. You don't run him the football enough. Eight carries for a game? Come on, man. That's what I'm saying. Have some balance. We'll be just fine. It's that simple. That's a good plea. I, <laughs> I completely agree. I think I saw a stat with him. He hadn't had a rushing – or sorry, he hadn't had a carry go over 20 yards, I think, one time since the first week of the season. So they have not been feeding him the ball at all. Oh. And then, yeah, it's a significant jump going from eight carries to 22. That's getting them established early in the game. That's opening it up. And then he also had that touchdown reception. So, yeah, I mean, he had a massive uh, breakout game. And I think that just puts every defense on notice moving forward to, like, just having one game where you feed him the ball 22 times. That changes everything. So I think he definitely had a spectacular game. It was really impressive. And, uh, yeah five touchdowns for Joe Mixon. Uh, that's someone that as a Chiefs fan, I know that we don't want to see because uh, he can definitely run it on us. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. When we play you guys, if we come out there 
and, and just throw it like your guys are going to tee off on our on our offensive line and you still have an offensive line that's new this is five new starters essentially except uh except jonah williams i left tackle five new four new starters excuse me four new starters so get them going it's easier to go forward than backwards and my last thing on this before we transition to our next topic when you go i swear craig you can go look at our film against the saints and the falcons we ran the same formation the whole game this is the only game I've seen all season where we got under the center and actually tried to run the football. We would run <laughs> shotgun, basically, where Burrow is here and Mixon is here and run that same formation. Or we ran empty where they know you're going to pass the football. Right. No kind of, you know, creativity or anything. You need some creativity in this game. It's not that hard. So hopefully they got a bye week. Hopefully they will keep on with this and running the football and let it set up their pass because obviously their passing is lethal. But when you got those linebackers coming up, to stop the run, and the safety, too, is going to get a little antsy and try to want to come up. That opens up your play action and your deep routes. It's that simple. To beat cover two, which a lot of teams run on them, running the football and hitting the teams down the middle. It's that simple. If I know that, they should know that. We'll leave it there. What do you think about Carolina? Do you think uh, they kind of went with running the ball more because of who they were playing, or do you think it just kind of unfolded that way? far as defensively or offensively yeah just the matchup overall like why do oh, they, they decide to run the ball finally well i know that mixon called out i think it was called like a team meeting or something from their last game because they got the crap beat out of them 32 13 on the road and again they didn't run the football and i think he called it a team meeting with some of the players and you know he's the captain so obviously he don't want to play that way they don't want to play that way so i think that was the difference and i think a lot of the media for once were finally calling him out and saying hey maybe you should run the football more which i don't know why to this point eight nine games in nobody called him out on it but i think that's why they ran the football more and you see the difference in the game. yeah for sure yes but we'll leave it there y'all sorry i am very passionate about my team i know craig is too um it can get frustrating but five and four is where we were last year so hopefully they can keep the momentum going um but let's talk about the vikings um seven and one only lost to the undefeated philadelphia eagles playing good all season long um a plethora of weapons and uh dalvin cook justin jefferson i think is the top receiver in the game adam thielen defense is playing well kevin o'connell is is coaching really well offensively very creative play calling uh defensively defensively getting uh, zadarius smith has been a difference maker as a, as a pass rusher but I think in the next couple of weeks, we're going to find out a lot about the Vikings. They got the Bills, and they got the Cowboys. So those two, t- two games are going to be very tough for them. Um, I'm curious to see how they're going to respond. Imagine if they go 9-1. and one, That would be crucial. And they got a four-and-a-half game lead on their division right now. That's true. And I think they have not played a strong schedule outside of the Eagles so far. Uh, going up against the defense will be a matchup. And then obviously the Bills, too. Uh, but Zadarius Smith, he's not a guy that's making a ton of tackles, but as a pass rusher, he's second in the league this season, uh, eight and a half sacks. And then their safety, Harrison Smith, has had an interception in three straight games. So when you have that pressure that you're getting up front, your safety's back there and he's cleaning up uh, late in the in the ball game once you've already established a lead. So I think they've had an easy road. Philly kind of beat them pretty pretty bad. But yeah, we'll see. And that great start so far i mean when you have that much breathing room in your division that's a that's a good sign to kind of experiment kind of figure out what your team can do look at the identity and so we'll see them uh i think they're going to progress still i i don't i i just think it is a result of kind of some of the teams they played 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, them getting that trade from Detroit, who I'm shocked traded inside their division and traded them actually TJ Hawkinson. That's a, just another weapon added to that offense. So I think they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be a very good team. Um, I can't wait to see, you know, how they're going to perform in the next couple of games because they'll find a lot. That Cowboys defense is pretty good, yeah. you know. No, they're definitely elite. But what do you think about Detroit beating Green Bay? <laughs> Man, did you see the tweet from Little Wayne when he was like, yeah, we should have got rid of 12, uh, I think he said prior to the season or something like that. That was kind of – I'm, I'm summing it up, but he's obviously a big Green Bay fan. But – I thought that was huge. I, I feel like Detroit's a team, they just haven't been able to close out games. Like, they were up on Miami big, you know, couldn't close it out. They were up on some other teams big. So, I think, that, I mean, three and six Green Bay? I mean. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. I mean, they haven't had that bad of a season under Matt LaFleur in, 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 since his tenure there. And Rodgers threw three interceptions, two in the red zone. All right. I mean, that's huge, bro, and they're not looking too good right now, and they're already four and a half games behind the Vikings, who's already beat them, so I don't know. I don't think they're a playoff team. Um, can they turn around? Maybe, but, I mean, you lose to Detroit on the road, a team you usually beat. That's like the Packers losing to the Bears. I think Rodgers is frustrated. His kind of receiving uh, talent around him has been That's his depleted. fault. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Okay. Like, ever be, that's his fault. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, some people claim that it is uh, his problem uh, not being able to get his guys to what want to stick it out and play with him. But if you watch him now, it's like he's throwing basically the eligible tackles. I mean, they have, he is. I guess he's run everyone out of town. I don't know what 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 happened there. What, what I'm going to say is it came in the offseason. If Rodgers would have communicated with his number one receiver, who they're not having a good season this year in the Raiders, uh, who he left for with Derek Carr, if he would have just communicated and said what he was doing without all this mystery and um, kind of this um, not knowing what I'm going to do and things like that, if he would have just came out, hey, this is what I want to do, I'm going to stay with Green Bay, told his receiver way ahead, I think Devontae Adams would have stayed. Green Bay was more than willing to pay him the money. They came out numerous times saying that. But when you don't, value your number one receiver you see the result that you get and I, i'm gonna keep saying it you need a number one receiver in this league yeah. you you need it like you're not going to go on these and win these playoff games and go to super bowl without having a true number one receiver you know some instances you can kind of get away with it but for the most part you need one and green bay doesn't have one they drafted romeo dobbs um it got sammy Watkins, who doesn't look the same um you know christian watson they got hurt um wasn't it robert tanya doesn't look the same but you need that number one receiver. And like I said, this is partially Rogers' fault. He went for his money. He got his $50 million per year. And he didn't think about other people. And sometimes he's been called selfish, you know. Not for other things. I'm just talking about strictly on the football field. He's been called that. So, obviously, we know he's a future Hall of Famer. He's an uh, exceptional. He's one of, actually used to be he's one of my favorite players. But lately, it's just been frustration, throwing interceptions. He has to play better. And if you would have just had that conversation with Devontae Adams, I don't know if he did or didn't. I can't say if he did or did not. You wouldn't be in this situation. You still have your number one receiver. You still be a contender. So you're saying Rodgers didn't let Adams know if he was coming back? I I think that's what it was. I think that him, makes sense. I think him not being maybe he did, but I think Adams at the, at his mind at that point was already made up. But if you would have let him know early, 
then I think he would have stayed, you know, like you didn't have, like, think about it. He strung along him for like, what, two to three off season saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going to retire. I don't know if I want to go here. Like, you remember that saga he yeah. had for those two or three years? After a while, you're a receiver. You're like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. So I got to think about what my best interest. If he would have just stopped with all that, said what I was going to do, been concrete about it, it would have made the difference, I think. Yeah. I don't you know. know. <laughs> that's just that's just me though you know but green bay is in the world of trouble um yes, they are they're in the world of trouble so we're going to see what they're going to do but they got a lot of uh they got more questions right now than answers you know but um yes guys that's all we got for today uh we hope you guys enjoy this is the debut episode of underrated overlooked podcast this was a lot of fun i enjoyed doing it with craig we we're both very busy guys but um we love doing this this was a lot of fun so again this episode and the rest of these episodes are going to be on our youtube uh channel and our page score atlanta make sure to subscribe if not you're missing out help us grow our channel we're at 121 subscribers which is very good trying to keep it growing and go it to a thousand man so anybody that's tuning in we love it just uh tune in there and also our podcast will be on spotify and all the major uh podcast places apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. so anywhere you get podcasts we will be on there so we hope you enjoyed this first episode and i'll give it to craig for the closing thoughts yeah well thank you Najee, for getting all this equipment together and i gotta say uh probably been working together several months at this point and I'm telling you, I've been here for 11 years. I've never had someone come in where they've taught me so much. I mean, you came in, your football knowledge, you're so good with technology, the different streaming things you can do. I say you're the the Joe Burrow of content because you came in and changed everything. So it's been outstanding. I just look forward to it. So thank you so much, Najee. Yes, sir. And yes, we'll see you guys next week. We'll be here Tuesday at noon. You guys make sure you comment below. Tell us if you guys want us to kind of do it live. This is obviously going to be a recorded version, but if you want us to do it live, we could do it live on our YouTube channel. But comment below. We love having um, different, um, you know, guests and things like that. If you ever be a guest on the show, let us know about that as well. And if you're enjoying the content, comment some topics you want to see as well. But that's all we got for you guys today, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. We out. Peace.